Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this week's Stacker Chat. My name is Gina Abrams. I'm an early team member with the Stacks Project, and I'm joined by Stacks co-founder Muneeb Ali. Thanks for being here, Muneeb. Good to be here. Excellent. So for anyone that's new here, um, the Stacks 2.0 blockchain launched earlier this year, bringing apps and smart contracts to Bitcoin. Today, we're going to cover some of the design decisions that have um, come about in building Stacks and some of the methods and places where maybe we've zigged where other folks have zagged. Um, so one of the things that comes up in a lot of conversations is about different design um, trade-offs for developers when evaluating different layer ones to build on. Now, Stacks is a layer one that's connected to Bitcoin, settles on Bitcoin, has unique insights to the Bitcoin blockchain, and can essentially program around it. And right now, Stacks blocks are in tandem with Bitcoin blocks, which introduces a level of scalability. Um, however, there's been a lot of talk about micro blocks and making these transactions and sort of insights even faster. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about micro blocks to begin with, and then also sort of your perspective when it comes to scalability versus decentralization um, and, and what you're seeing as important on the horizon. Yeah, I think I think these type of design decisions are, I would say, pretty fundamental um, to to any distributed system like like decentralized systems like blockchains. And the one way to think about this is that um, a lot of people they think of scalability as some sort of a technical breakthrough that you know someone came up with a technical breakthrough and now we have a more scalable blockchain. Uh, whereas I think the right way to think about scalability uh, in the in the in the context of blockchains is it's a trade-off. So when you're trying to make you know something go faster, you're actually giving up on something, and it's actually it's extremely important to understand what is that thing that you're giving up on, and are do you feel comfortable uh, giving up on that thing? Right. So I can I can actually give give some examples. Um, one of the one of the most kind of like unique things about Bitcoin and the Nakamoto consensus uh, was open membership, right? So it's a consensus protocol, but it's an open membership protocol, meaning that uh, you anyone can come in and become a Bitcoin miner. Uh, it's open, it's decentralized, and you're not restricted to just a kind of like group of nodes uh, that are closed, right? Because that that starts looking like a like a federated system or or a permission system. And there are some, um, and those algorithms have been around for a very, very long time, right? So if you look at more traditional, you know, Paxos or uh, newer versions of uh, Paxos-like algorithms like Raft, uh, these algorithms have been around for a while, and but they're not open membership uh, algorithms. So if you look at a system like uh, Definity, for example, uh, they are talking about extremely fast kind of like uh, transactions are very high scalability. And it's almost like it boggles a normal kind of like, you know, crypto user's mind a little bit that, hey, what breakthroughs have they had uh, because of which they're able to kind of like, you know, give that type of scalability and block times and so on. And, and interestingly, if you look at the system design, it's not a open membership system. Right. So if it's not an open membership system, like these types of algorithms have actually been around for a very long time. I'm not I'm not trying to criticize the project or anything like it's a, 
it's a design trade-off. And I think they've made a certain design trade-off to optimize for certain metrics. And the the kind of like the flip side of the same trade-off is that you're giving up on something. And I think one thing that we have done at Stacks is that we are pretty much in line with the design principles of Bitcoin because we truly believe in that. Like a lot of our team members are early Bitcoiners and we, as computer scientists, we are pretty much in the camp that decentralization and the permission permissionless nature is the most important thing here, right? Otherwise you, like you can't, and, and let me let me double down on that a little bit, uh, especially for the base layer protocol, decentralization is the most important thing because you could always make more restrictive things on top of it, but you cannot start off with a closed membership system and then try to create something that is more decentralized on top of it. That just doesn't work, right? So you can, you can always restrict on top, but you, the, the base layer has to be uh, fully decentralized. The base layer has to be independently verifiable, right? So any, anyone can go and, and do that. So linking back to scalability, a lot of times people would think about um, scalability not as a trade-off with decentralization. And I think that's a critical connection to make that if you're trying to say, hey, we want to have you know, more transactions per second, which you know, it's a separate topic that it's a little bit of a meaningless metric. Uh, and, but what are, what are you, you giving up for that? Right? So for Bitcoin, uh, it is actually uh, kind of like very important that people with a normal internet connection and a normal computer should be able to directly connect to the uh, network, should be able to have an independent copy of the blockchain and should be able to independently verify that this is the correct version of the blockchain. A lot of kind of like the designs where you start kind of like increasing the requirements on what type of uh, a computer you would need to, to, to connect to this network or what type of bandwidth uh, kind of like, you know, links you would need to connect to this network, uh, change the decentralization properties of the network. Because now not anyone can participate, uh, but you're actually restricting it to maybe uh, really high-powered computers or people with data center-like connectivity that only those nodes can participate. And that's a, that's a design point like worth exploring. But in my view, that's not how the base layer protocol should be designed. Because you could, you could always kind of like create other systems on top of a very decentralized base layer that can give you those properties and people can opt into, into them as possible. So, so Stacks kind of like takes that approach where uh, we want the anyone who wants to run, run a Stacks node to effectively have the same type of a hardware uh, or, or a internet bandwidth connection that, that a Bitcoin full node would have. So we are trying to be on, on the end of decentralization. And then how that shows up is that like Stacks blockchain, at, at least at the base layer, is not optimizing for uh, very, very high transactions per second. But with that said, uh, I think uh, it, is, it is a good user experience if you can get you know, faster initial confirmations instead of waiting on Bitcoin blocks. So the way uh, the Stacks blockchain is designed is... Uh, there's a concept of micro blocks, right? So the, if you imagine like uh, almost like visualize two blockchains where Stacks kind of like connects to Bitcoin and does settlements on Bitcoin. So we follow Bitcoin's finality, which is a 
probabilistic finality anyway. Uh, but but Stacks kind of like uh, follows follows the finality of Bitcoin. But on the stack sides, you can actually have uh, much faster initial confirmations, and that those initial confirmations would give some information to the users that is useful, and they can they can kind of like use that as they see appropriate. But finality would be driven by Bitcoin, right? So the normal stacks blocks have a uh, direct relationship with Bitcoin blocks. Uh, every stacks block has a corresponding Bitcoin block, uh, but micro uh, micro blocks can effectively have more transactions. It's almost like streaming, right? So people are streaming transactions, and let's say there every thirty seconds instead of like every ten minutes, there's a new micro block, and and then there is another micro block and another micro block, and all of those micro blocks can be packaged up into the same kind of like full block that then settles on Bitcoin and gets finality from there. But things actually become even more interesting because uh, these these microblocks are viewable uh, in the mempool. So if somebody is watching even kind of like the uh, the Bitcoin mempool, where stacks miners are uh, broadcasting, uh, kind of like you know that's that's where the competition is happening from the stacks miners to win uh, win the blocks. Uh, you could actually just look at the state of the mempool to know that let's say every miner that is trying to mine a block uh, has my transaction, right? So it doesn't matter which miner actually ends up winning the block, your transaction is actually getting it. And then there are very interesting incentives baked in as well, where the stacks miners are incentivized to include as many micro blocks as possible uh, in their blocks. So effectively what that does is that uh, you get a very fast confirmation as a as a micro block, and then based on the state of the mempool, uh, your probability that this transaction is actually getting in uh, could be extremely high. It could be close to 100% if you know all miners are are are, are cooperating and they are including the uh, your your transaction in a micro block, which is a very interesting and nice property to have because now the UX for for users uh, could be very fast transactions. And right now it's around 30 seconds, but uh, there could be future improvements to make it even faster uh, and so on. So I think I'm very excited about uh, the release of microblocks. The bulk of the work is actually done, uh, but it's more of the UX side, like the wallets or exchanges or the Explorer, uh, where it has not been uh, fully integrated. And obviously, you know, we, we, it will be great to kind of like see a proper launch of the microblocks where, you know, a, a lot of the community members and users can actually get access to it. I'm, I'm personally pretty excited about that launch. Excellent. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Um, cool. So you mentioned, you touched on this a little bit, but um, it's been said that transactions per second could be considered more of a vanity metric when it comes to blockchains. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about some of the metrics that you really value and that you're looking out for um, in terms of these robust layer ones of the internet. Right. So I think the the way I think about this is at the base layer, the, the metrics that are important to me are decentralization. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes it becomes hard to quantify, like, what do you mean by decentralization? But there are certain ways you can actually even quantify what decentralization means. Balaji actually had a great talk at, uh, at one of our summits back in 2017, I believe, uh, where he was trying to quantify decentralization. And I think uh, people 
it's it's easy for people to understand that, for example, Bitcoin would score very high on the metric of decentralization. And I think I think that 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 matters to me personally uh, in terms of the designs of the base layer. And the another thing is independent verification. Like, can anyone boot up a node? And without talking to any trusted source or third party, can you independently verify uh, the state of the blockchain and how quickly can you do that, right? So it's somewhat tied to decentralization, but it's a, it's a slightly different property uh, that that I think is, is extremely important when you're talking about base layers. And when you're talking about transactions per second, the way, you know, I think it, it has become a little bit of a, uh, every project has their own, metric for transactions per second and we have lost the meaning of like what does that really mean for your applications i think for uh for smart contracts that run on the base layer it is still more meaningful to talk about how many transactions you can uh, you can have because you're trying to interact with these smart contracts and i think over there it still makes more sense but broadly speaking we're talking about an entire internet that is powered by blockchains or you're talking about uh, decentralized applications most of the state for these applications is actually not going to live on chain, right? So if you're talking about something like Facebook that does, you know, 5 billion likes a day or, or maybe maybe even more than that, uh, there is no world that I imagine where every single like actually triggers some sort of a blockchain transaction in a future version of a decentralized social network, right? So in terms of like interactions per second or... Uh, how users are kind of like changing, muting user data. Uh, most of these things are going to scale not at the base layer, right? They're going to scale in some other way. And if they're going to scale in some other way, then uh, why are we obsessing so much about transactions per second at the at the base layer directly? Absolutely. Now, changing topics a little bit, you recently shared a tweet about the BurgerSwap exploits, where $7.2 million of value was drained from BurgerSwap on Binance Smart Chain due to a re-entrancy bug inherited from Solidity. In contrast, the Stacks ecosystem offers clarity for building out secure, decidable smart contracts. Can you share more details on sort of the different approaches here um, and what folks might expect from, from clarity that's different from Solidity? Yeah, so I think I think this is a this is a really fundamental debate, and people would take you know either either side of that debate. Uh, the debate is basically that Solidity is a Turing complete language, which is both a powerful thing, but also a double-edged sword, and you can hurt yourself. And I think there's enough evidence now of people over and over again hurting themselves. Like these are developers. Sometimes you know these are, are the mistakes are actually errors. Sometimes you could even argue that you know people are actually being malicious, and they would have they would have done something malicious anyway. Uh, and it's just like they were they were they were using a uh, design flaw in a language to do that. But the debate is effectively that because uh, Solidity is a Turing complete language, anything is possible. Uh, and you know reentrancy, for example, is is uh, allowed. Uh, somebody would exploit that and people would just need to learn to be careful and get more audits and, and so on, right? So if you if you think about like the design space of languages, like Turing complete languages would be kind of like a superset of everything, right? Like, uh, and then like if, if your language is Turing complete, you can pretty much do anything with that thing. So if you try to restrict that a little bit, let's say, let's say you make the set a little bit smaller, 
Um, and then that said is as decidable languages where you know you're not as expressive as a Turing complete language. Um, you have explicitly restricted yourself, but you're gaining a lot of benefits. Like you know these things are more right? these programs are now more predictable. You can actually do analysis on them before before running these things and, and so on. And one of the things with clarity, other than kind of like you know uh, clarity being uh, explicitly being a decidable language, one thing that the original designers uh, thought a lot about is you know we should not allow reentrancy. Period. Right. So reentrancy is actually uh, not possible in clarity contracts, which is a feature. Right. And some people might argue that you know, hey, it's not a feature, it's a limitation. Like maybe I want to write uh, some application uh, where I want to use re-entrancy as a feature. And I think my uh, question to them would be like, why don't you come up with, with what application you're trying to build and then really try to think about, is it really not possible in Clarity? Because most of the time, these applications can be written in a way where you can get the same functionality without relying on things like re-entrancy, right? So by... Uh, by almost like restricting yourself and banning a certain type of a feature from the programming language itself, in my view, you're actually doing a lot of benefit to the developers who might not be that knowledgeable about these potential pitfalls, right? So you're in some ways giving them more precise tools with which it's harder to hurt themselves, right? And I think I think that's that's actually a very, very nice property to have because smart contracts are a very different type of computer code. Uh, these things uh, can have millions of dollars of assets on them. And I think optimizing for predictability, optimizing for kind of like security uh, needs to be kind of like the number one thing. And instead of, uh, instead of basically saying that, okay, over time and with enough errors and with enough audits, people would learn how to write more, more uh, like more secure smart contracts. I feel like that's, that's kind of like not the approach that uh, needs to be taken here. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, you're not going to Bitcoin Miami this year, although we will have some folks from the Stacks ecosystem there. Um, but maybe you're having a little FOMO. I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about um, any sort of quick crypto crazy stories from events in the past or anything that you're looking forward to as the world opens back up. Yeah, I think I'm definitely going to miss a lot of uh, friendly faces and colleagues who are, I'm getting so many messages. Everyone's like, people are actually assuming that I'll be there and they're trying to meet up. They're trying to kind of like set up gatherings with friends, especially like, you know, people are coming out of COVID. And and I, I think I'm always a little bit kind of like more paranoid and more careful generally in life. Uh, and plus, I have some some other uh, family commitments going on due to which I, I won't be able to there. But I will I will miss everybody. Uh, hopefully, I can I can see them soon. And I feel like uh, there's always like one or two events in the year uh, that are kind of like the epicenter of the crypto industry. Everyone's excited about them. Everyone shows up there. Back in the days, like consensus used to be that uh, in New York. I've also experienced some events um, in Asia. Uh, where like the Shanghai blockchain week, like you could actually feel the energy and everyone's there. And it's just like so amazing uh, to kind of like, you know, most of the time you're interacting with people online, but to be able to sit down with them and actually have interesting conversations, like it's just a different level. I feel uh, my mind goes to like consensus, probably like 2016 when uh, the original DAO was about to be launched and there was sort of like a fear 
slash excitement in the air that one of what's going to happen if this thing actually launches and then you know 150 million dollars actually moved into the DAO contract and it was our good friend reentrancy that played a role there as well and the hacker was actually able to exploit that and drain drain the DAO and i feel like living through some of those moments and actually seeing the reactions of of people and the industry like it's it's just uh, it's not that like it's a good memory, but it's it's a it's definitely an event that comes to mind as one of the more uh, memorable things. Absolutely, um, you know, typhoons very quickly in crypto, and that's a great example. All right, um, well, that's a wrap for this week. Thanks so much, Muneeb. Um, if you enjoyed your time with us, please subscribe to the Stacks YouTube channel, where we're going to continue posting these sessions. Um, and if you'd like to hear more about Stacks, head over to stacks.co and check out all the resources that are listed down below um, within the whole ecosystem. And we are going to be tuning back in next week. And we would love to continue to get questions from the audience. We'll share these on Twitter um, and looking forward to, to hearing from the Stacks community. Thanks, everyone. Awesome. Thank you.